You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We believe God is going to meet you right where you are today as you listen and dig into His Word. I've been thinking about this my people theme. Uh, Maybe you've been thinking about it. If you were here last week or you've seen some of our advertisements, I've been thinking about what it means as we say we are God's people. What is this my people theme? If you're here last week, you'll remember I kept saying this and I'll keep saying this throughout the series. You are my people because we are his people. That's how we can say that I have a people because God first said that he was going to have a people. So that's a true statement. And this is what we're talking about, being God's people. This month we're talking about what it means to be God's people. That's what it means to be my people, if you will. What does it mean to be God's people? Which in turn makes us an integral part when we're God's people of a brand new, big, diverse, spiritual, worldwide family. That's what happens when we are made a part of God's family. We could say it this way as well. Because we are his people, you must be my people. We must be one another's people if we belong to God. That's what my people's all about. Now, this isn't to say that we won't and can't create our own groups of people. We do. We will. It's normal. We lean into all kinds of commonalities that we might have with other people for similar things, whether it's a hobby, a sports team, you know, our age group, our demographic, all those things we'll, we'll lean into, a food we like, places we like to go, and, and we form like our own little Facebook friends, right? The the Facebook pages that like these different things. We do this in the natural world as well, in real life relationships. And we can enjoy those. There's nothing wrong with that. We find these people that that we enjoy being around. They're fun and, and, and we fit in and they make us feel better about ourselves and that's fine. But unless they are God's people, They're not really your true brothers and sisters yet. They're just really a a temporary club. Or, or worse, neither of us are a part of God's family because we're not sons and daughters of our heavenly father through Jesus Christ, but instead we're sons and daughters of disobedience, which is what Colossians 3 calls unbelievers. And so we are common in that family, but it's not the family that I want to be a part of. I want to be a part of the family of God. My point is, is we can all have people. We can all have people outside of God's people, a group to belong to, to fit in with, to feel comfortable with, etc. But those relationships will come to an end unless we are all first God's people. Those relationships will come to an end. The relationships that don't end are the ones that are centered and focused and under God as Father. We just need to be honest about who we really are and don't lie to ourselves about who we are or who our friends are or all those other things. And listen, we are, to quote Kanye, let's be honest, we're all liars. We're all liars. And the reality is, is we lie to ourselves in these real subtle ways. 
We do this in, in a subtle way. It's not really an evil way. It's just subtle. And the reason I thought about those lyrics this week is because I can be really good at lying to myself. We can be really good at lying to ourselves about our lives, about our friends, about our groups, about our family, about our relationships, even about our relationship with God. We can be really good at fooling ourselves and lying to ourselves. And, and when we lie to ourselves or we're deceived as to the impact of these relationships, we end up making a God out of something that was just supposed to be good. See, the only difference between something that's good and God is taking out one O. And what we do is we'll take the good things that God has given us, we'll remove the O and make it a God in our life. And all of a sudden, these people in our lives are all of a sudden something that we worship more. These relationships are something that we worship more than the God who gave us that relationship. These are my people, and I don't care what God says. These are my ride or die. I'm going to do whatever they say. I'm going to do whatever they do. And that's great if they're following Christ, but it's not so great if they're not. It's just difficult when we begin to replace God with other relationships. So here's the truth. God has to be the main thing in order for my people to be the real thing. You ever heard somebody say, well, she's a real one. He's a real one. If somebody's going to be a real one in your life, if you're going to be a real one in somebody else's life, we need Jesus first. That's the only way to be a real one. And when Jesus is Lord of our life and he is the one who is perfecting us, he is a perpetual king, priest, and prophet in our life. And that's what we're going to cover this morning. That's what we're covering throughout this series. This whole idea of who God is and who he's created us to be and how Jesus fulfilled that and how he's called the church to be that today. So the title of this morning's message is, I need a priest. I need a priest in order to be a priest. And I'm not talking about a priest that shows up in like one of those Hollywood movies where the priest just shows up and get his, gets his butt kicked by some kind of demonic force. That's not the kind of priest that I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is what Hebrews talks about in chapter 4 in describing Jesus as the great high priest. So if you have your Bible with you today, Hebrews chapter 4, you could turn there. We'll also then be in Hebrews chapter 7. That's really kind of the main text for this morning, but I will be uh, moving around a few other passages of Scripture as well. So here's what Hebrews uh, says in chapter 4, verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And as I often say, that time is pretty much all the time for us. So in general terms, what is a biblical priest? What are we talking about when we say that Jesus was a great high priest and we are called to be the priesthood of believers today? What does that mean? You didn't know last week that you were a king and you didn't know coming in this week that you were a priest, but you're both of them. They're just a little bit different than kind of the earthly caricatures that we often see. 
So here's a biblical definition, some biblical definitions. A priest is a mediator, which means it's one who, yeah. Don't you love definitions like that that have the word twice? It's like, and your teacher is like, no, you can't use that twice to define or can't use the word to define the word. I'm like, oh, okay, well, the Bible does some. So a priest is a mediator who mediates and in so doing gives some kind of guarantee. By mediating between two persons, that's what a mediator does. The mediator is also able to represent both sides in bringing them together. Now, wouldn't it be amazing if there was a way to bring a holy God together with the unholy humans? What if we had somebody who was both God and human at the same time? That would be Jesus, so he can guarantee in both directions that an agreement can be reached and justice will be done. So let's go now to Hebrews chapter 7, just to kind of take us a little bit further on this understanding of a mediator making this guarantee. This, verse 22, makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. That's kind of right. What does that mean? They're going to die. So we have to have a lot of them because they're going to get old and die. That's not so. In Jesus' case, it says, but he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Man. Jesus stands as a continuing guarantor and that he does in two different directions. He guarantees to the people that God will fulfill his covenant of forgiveness and he guarantees to God that those who are in him are made acceptable. You see, in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, the guarantee was that God would always keep his end of the bargain. But there was never any guarantee that the people would keep theirs. Now Jesus comes and says, no, I'm the guarantor for God. I'm the mediator between God who will offer forgiveness. And I'm the guarantor for humans who are saying that they are in Christ and they're acceptable to God because of that. So we have Jesus. In other words, for mediator in the Greek or negotiator or intermediary. In Hebrews, which we've read a couple of passages, the priest seems to refer to the initiator of this new covenant by which reconciliation is established between us and God. And in the technical sense, it applies to the final work of Christ on the cross, that he finished it on the cross. Christ is mediating between God and man in reconciling our differences, but he is also the means of our communication right now. He is our mediator even today, communicating, or as the scripture says, inner seating constantly on your behalf aren't you glad that God has a mediator Jesus the great high priest who is constantly the word says interceding on your behalf so let's set the groundwork again for what it means and what it has meant throughout history to be a priest we'll start in Genesis 1 2 really just kind of give an overview of this creation story last uh, we talked about in the last series creation fall redemption and restoration well this is part of it Genesis 1 2 God created a cosmic sanctuary in the heavens and the earth and he was going to dwell and sovereignly rule over this sanctuary if you will this temple this cosmic temple 
But then he also created the crown jewel of his creation, humanity, man and woman. And why did he create us? We said this last week, we'll say it again. We, you and I, have been formed to dwell in God's presence and given the responsibility to bring his glory to the ends of the earth. That's our responsibility today. This is what we are created for, to bring and to spread the glory of God all over the earth while God dwells in us. See, God made Adam and Eve in his image. And because we were made in his image, that means we were made in a divine image, God's. The divine image which we as humanity are to reflect in the earth is divided into what I've already said, into king and priest and prophet. That is how we image God today. That's how the image of God reflects and refracts out of us today into the people around us. We talked about being young kings last week. Today we're going to talk about being young priests. Adam and Eve were created to be priests who were meant to what? Mediate God's presence and worship and serve before him and take his presence to the ends of the earth. That's what they were created to do. I don't have time to spend on all the ways that Adam and Eve fulfilled or were to fulfill their role as priests. But to put it simply, they were commissioned by God to expand God's presence to the ends of the earth. That's what the mandate was in Genesis 1.28, to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. What are they filling the earth with? Babies? That's not just it. No, what he's saying is you are to fulfill the earth, yes, with other people, and the people that come from you are to be divine image bearers to the ends of the earth. We want you to make sure, God's saying, to fill the earth with the glory of God as being God's divine image bearers that radiate, reflect, and refract his glory everywhere. I can't say those three words in a row. I didn't do it in the first service. I didn't do it in the second service. So I'm going to do it in the second service for the video that we're going to use right now. We are called to radiate, reflect, and refract God's glory. Oh, man. Sally sells seashells down by the seashore. As the story goes, they failed. But God had a plan to redeem and restore his people because thankfully for you and I, God always has a plan to redeem and to restore fallen people. Amen? He still does that today. And what came next in this plan was he was going to make for himself a holy people. A holy person within Adam and Eve, the kingdom of priests. It wasn't, didn't happen, it didn't work, and all the other things didn't work. And so now I'm going to make a holy people, and that was going to be Israel. So how did Israel do at being priests in the earth? Well, in Exodus 19, God tells Moses to tell the people this. I'll read this. Exodus chapter 19, verse 5. Now, if you obey me fully, and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now here is a promise with a condition. If Israel would perfectly obey God's law, they would be a kingdom of priests. As priests mediate God's presence to the people of Israel, the Israelites were supposed to mediate God's presence to the people in the nations around them. Priests, simply put, were to ensure that humanity was prepared to worship the one true holy God. That was their job. 
And the image of God now, he's saying, is going to be imprinted on the nation of Israel in such a way that it was supposed to be a holy lighthouse to a land that was covered in idolatry and darkness. That this is the one true God that you've all been created in his image and you were created to worship and bring glory to. And I don't know if you feel the tension and the building as you read these stories that are already here, as you hear the echoes of Jesus and the church that we're supposed to be right now but it's there. The Old Testament is straining towards the better covenant. A need for a great high priest. And in Jesus, the Son of God, as we just read in Hebrews, he came to be the great high priest because we were never going to get it right. We were always going to allow unholy things into the holy of holies just like Adam and Eve allowed an unholy thing into the center the holy of holies in the garden of Eden just like Israel allowed unholy things to come into the holy of holies and to desecrate the temple and to have idol worship just like you and I today allow unholy things to come into the temple of God we were never going to get it right but Jesus the great high priest. And when Jesus showed up in the temple in his time, was supposed to be holy and undefiled, a place of God's presence and worship. And as I said last week, we come from a long line of anti-priests. So when Jesus showed up, the anti-priests at that time were failing miserably at being priests. Instead of obeying God's law, instead of keeping the nation and the temple free from desecration, the Jewish leaders were promoting greed and power and position and consequently they were defiling God's people and defiling the sanctuary. And a lot of times we boil this message down when Jesus was flipping the tables of the temple about selling some kind of hat or t-shirt at the church. That has absolutely nothing to do with why Jesus was mad. Nothing. He was mad. He was angry because those divine image bearers that he had created who were supposed to mediate the presence of God to all of the nations didn't look anything like their father. And instead of mediating his presence to all the nations, they were holding on to it themselves and keeping the nations out. Oh, no, 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 no. You don't look like us. You don't worship like us. You don't come from the same background as we do. You're not getting in here. And here's the truth, my friends. When we're more concerned about keeping people out than we are about letting them in to the presence of God, we're not imaging God as priests in the earth today. And that's exactly what was happening. And God's plan from the very beginning was that he desired that any people that would want to draw near to him would have access to him through Jesus Christ. This radical inclusivity of Jesus, the great high priest, was extended to every nation, tribe, and tongue. As we just sang a moment ago, God's name and fame were to be spread. And the priests at that time were hiding and hoarding and keeping people out. But let's be honest, sometimes we have the tendency to do the same thing today. We got to keep all of that out. We got to keep all of them out. 
How often do we fall into this same sin of not being the priests that God has called us to be? How often do we worship with people who just look like us, act like us, vote like us, are the same age as us, have the same skin color as us, have the same socioeconomic background as us? Or do we desire like Revelation 7 and what God has desired from the very beginning that we would be a people from every nation, tribe, language, coming together to worship Jesus as one? It's a little bit of a rhetorical question because historically the church has not done well at being one. But biblically we're supposed to mediate the presence of God to anyone and everyone who desires to come into his presence. That desires to have intimacy with the Father like you've experienced. Now let's talk about how beautifully and amazingly Jesus fulfilled his role as a priest so that we could be a royal priesthood today. He did everything perfectly that Adam and Eve didn't. He did everything perfectly that Israel could not. I want you to listen to John the Baptist's words as he announced Jesus coming onto the scene in John chapter 1, verse 29. This is so important as it is just a foreshadowing or a fulfillment of a foreshadowing that we've been feeling, the tension that we've been feeling since the Old Testament. And all of a sudden, it comes to a head in John chapter 1, verse 29, as John says, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Then in verse 36, and he looked at Jesus and he walked by and he said, behold, the Lamb of God. You're like, what in the holy nursery rhyme is going on at this point? Like, why? And here's the deal. The audience at that point didn't need an explanation. They didn't need an inductive Bible study to figure out what the Lamb of God was. They didn't need some really good exegesis to figure out who the Lamb of God was. They knew what it meant to call Jesus the Lamb of God. They knew that because Jesus appears in the Gospels as the fulfillment of all the Old Testament shadows and types of sacrifices because he is the total fulfillment, Hebrews says, once and for all of the sacrifice that we needed. And with this one simple announcement, John summed up the whole sacrificial complexity of the tabernacle and the temple that had been going on trying to make a way for us to be God's people. All the sacrifices, all the animals, all the blood, all the repeated offerings, all of the things they had to do to come into the holy of holies the seemingly endless routines of worship had come to an end and had been completed and fulfilled in the once and for all sacrifice that arrived Jesus the Lamb of God what man could not do for himself God said I'm going to do for you what all the sacrifices that they had been offering for hundreds of years could not secure was now going to be secured by the free gift of grace through Jesus the Lamb of God Yeah, that's great news. And this is what Jesus said. He said, it is finished. So God's wrath was appeased in his son's death, resulting in reconciliation between God and humanity, and then also reconciliation between us and one another. And now God could dwell with believers as he desired to do all along, and as we loved one another could reflect out of us to a world that desperately needs him. But look at this. Jesus is not only the Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice. He's also the great high priest. I thought that the priests were supposed to offer a sacrifice. But he fulfills the office of priest not only as the one who makes the offering, 
but as the one who is the offering. It's perfectly clear at this point. When the time came for him to lay down his life, he was perfectly clear, just like I said, that no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. So he freely offered himself up in our place. He's both the high priest and the sacrifice, the offerer and the offering, the sacrificer and the sacrifice. And he did this vicariously for us, which means he mediated it for us. And he did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He died in our place. Jesus died in our place as the great mediator. This is so amazing because God, Jesus, is intent on creating a holy people out of an unholy people. For this to happen, he had to be defiled himself. Jesus' defilement is what leads to our holiness. God made his one and only holy son to be unholy so that we could be holy. 2 Corinthians says it this way, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God so that God could have a mediator where Jesus said, we are now clothed in the righteousness of Christ. If they're in me, God, they're acceptable to you. God sent his holy son to be unholy in our place. Therefore, Jesus' office of priest is on astonishing display as he hung on the cross and offered himself up on our behalf to be his people. Remember why this is good news? You are my people because we are his people first. So how do we win for the lamb the reward of his suffering as the church today? How is the church in the earth, God's holy people, my people, you in Focus Church, my particular people, how do we fulfill our role as a priesthood of believers in the earth today? Remember, we the church are the eschatological, that means the end times. We're the eschatological people of God. We are the perfected people of God in Christ, but still awaiting that perfection when he returns. It is the already and the not yet. What God has done already in Christ that we receive and what he is yet going to do one day when he returns. We are those people. So God did dwell, watch this, God did dwell with Adam and Eve. And he did dwell with the people of Israel. But because of what Jesus has done in the new covenant as the great high priest, God dwells with each of us in an even more intimate way. Have you ever heard people say, well, man, it's been so cool to walk with God, like it says in Genesis, with, like Adam and Eve did, and walk with God in the cool of the day. You know what's cooler? Walking with a God who dwells inside of you. Man, it would have been cool to be able to go into the Holy of Holies, not really, go by myself once a year and worship and experience the presence of God like that as it filled the room. What's cooler is that any and every day I can experience the presence of God as he dwells inside of me. I don't want to go back to that. This is so much better, as Scripture says. It's a better covenant. So how is the church, are we to be the priesthood? Let's just say we're to talk about some practical responsibilities. Like the priest had practical responsibilities they were to do to be priests back in the day. What are our practical responsibilities as a priesthood today, as Christians? What do we do? First of all, we protect the temple. That's what a priest did. He protected the temple that was supposed to be holy from anything unholy getting in there. 
But guess what? The location of God's dwelling has changed from the four walls of a temple to the temple of your body. So what are you protecting? You're guarding your heart. You're guarding your mind. You're guarding your mouth. You're guarding your eyes. You're doing all the things that you can by the power of the Holy Spirit within you to protect the temple of God, which is now your heart. Now your life. Jesus came to dwell among us so that he could now dwell within us. So God, through Jesus Christ, our mediator, makes his home in our hearts. And 1 Corinthians says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? This isn't just a a, a scripture to use for a good diet plan. You can use it for that if you like. I don't care. But what we're saying is that this temple is supposed to be protected. The priest in Israel was supposed to keep the dwelling place of God holy. Now as the church, the priesthood of believers, it's our same responsibility. This means protecting all of our lives to be set apart and holy unto the Lord. Will you do it perfectly? No. Will we fail at it at times miserably? Yes. But we keep turning back to our great high priest who's a mediator between you and God to say, Lord, please forgive me. Help me be who you've called me to be. Secondly, we're to be a growing temple. I want to read a long passage of Scripture. It's found in Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to actually pick it up in verse 13 because I think it shows us what the church is supposed to look like because of what Christ has done as the great high priest. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. What is that holy temple? That is his church in the earth today. Those are his people in the earth today. It's supposed to be you and I, you and I together with Christ's help. We're those people. This to me is why a diverse but unified church is so important. I don't have to read anything but Ephesians 2 right here to know that God's people are supposed to pursue deep unity with one another despite all of our deep differences with one another. And we're to be a light to the darkness around us, even to the ends of the earth, because it's still so countercultural that it attracts people to the light that they see in our lives of us loving God and loving one another when it doesn't make any sense. This is why being a multi-ethnic, multi-generational church is so important to me, church. Remember I said we are to be young kings who do unpopular things. Wait, wait, you saying that being a multi-ethnic, multi-generational church is an unpopular thing? That's exactly what I'm saying. Well, I mean, I I would think that 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 would be like what everybody would want. That's not been my experience. 
But it is what God wants. It is what we want. And it is what we continue to be priests for. Young kings who do unpopular things by mediating the love of God to any and all that we can. And yes, it will be unpopular, but there's still so much work to be done. That's why the church has to continue to grow. All we gotta do is look around a little bit. There's still so much work to be done to make us one and to take, tear down every dividing and hostile wall that's been built up. Thirdly, we need to be living sacrifices. This is so crazy to me. The first Peter says, you are like living stones being built into a spiritual house, right? To be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, who's the great high priest. Remember, Jesus was both the priest and the sacrifice. And we follow in his footsteps as his sons and daughters, or his brothers and sisters, as God's sons and daughters, as Jesus' disciples. We follow in his footsteps, which means that we ourselves are supposed to be those that offer ourselves as living sacrifices. Not just Jesus who laid his life down. Now we are to take up our cross daily and lay our lives down as a living sacrifice. Isn't that what Romans 12:1 tells us? Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper act of worship. Sacrifice to me means giving up something of value. Sacrifice isn't giving something away that I don't want. Sacrifice is dying to myself. And there are so many ways that we can sacrifice our lives today or should. So many opportunities, they're almost endless every day. That's why we need the power of the Holy Spirit helping us to discern the conversations we need to be in and the people we need to engage and the things we need to say and the things we don't need to say or the things we need to do or the things we don't need to do. Holy Spirit, would you help us be a holy priesthood which mediates your presence in my life to those around me that need their presence to meet your presence in their life. So maybe that means that I sacrifice by inviting somebody over to my house or something that I, I didn't really know and not sure I want to spend a whole lot of time with. Maybe, maybe it's like God saying, no, I want you to invite them and, and have them over and, and have them be a part of your family and, and, and see. And I know it can be a little uncomfortable and they're not anything like you or what all those things are. But I want you to continue to be a priest for me and mediate the presence of God into their life so that it can dispel the darkness that they're dealing with. That's a sacrifice. Sacrifice of my life, my comfort, my selfishness. Lastly, 1 Peter 2.9, a side note, uh, I'll say as, when I was in college, I was in a trio, which was me and a couple of other guys, which would obviously make a trio. Me and two other guys, a trio. Um, good math, I graduated from high school and college. Um, so I, I, I was in this group, and this was our verse, 1 Peter 2.9. Had it on a t-shirt and everything. You won't find it on iTunes or Spotify. You won't find it anywhere except maybe my garage. It's a little tape with a lot of hair. A lot more hair than I have now. 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. A holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Man, I love that verse. 
And this, listen, this should be a reminder, and it's probably been so long ago in this message that you've forgotten, but I'll remind you of Exodus 19 that I read earlier. Exodus 19 was conditional because of Jesus' perfect life. Watch what Peter says. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. Exodus says, now if you obey me fully and if you keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my what? Treasured possession and you will be a holy nation. It's conditional. This is why Jesus as the great high priest is such good news. Jesus came and made the conditional truths reality because he met all the conditions himself. He made it a reality for you and I, the church today. So 1 Peter 2.9 is now a statement of fact in Christ. Jesus has met the condition as the great high priest and the Lamb of God so that the church, God's people, my people, you and I could inherit our identity as a royal priesthood. I don't care what you think you are. I'm going to tell you right now who you really are in Christ. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are God's special treasured possession that you may declare the praises of him who has called you out of darkness and into his wonderful marvelous light that's who we are because of Jesus we should be about reaching the lost and letting them know that they can be adopted into this family as well that they can have what they desire the most and that's intimacy an intimate relationship with God the Father and as Christians we need to know as the church we are a community of priests who are able to enjoy his presence but are called to mediate his presence to those that are lost we get the privilege of offering our lives as a living sacrifice unto God but in order for it to be pleasing sacrifice we have to live lives that are characterized by serving God by loving God by by serving one another and loving one another. And right now, I want you to know this. This is the truth. There's no pressure here because it's all on God. We are the primary vehicle through which God's glory is going to fill the earth. So we continue as priests and as the church to mediate God's glory to our family, to our friends, to our classmates, to our workers, to our strangers in our neighborhood, wherever we may find them, and to the ends of the earth. That's what we do. We're perpetual priests, not just on Sunday, not just when I feel like it, but the role of serving the church and worshiping God is something that never ends. And I, I, I don't just go to church, I am the church. We are the church. We come to church to worship together and to be empowered and equipped to be able to be the church, to be the priests of the earth. And none of that changes when we walk out of here. To make the name of Jesus famous is what we're called to do. And here's the thing. As a priest, remember we're supposed to offer a guarantee. We're a guarantor. What can we guarantee somebody? What can you guarantee somebody as a priest? Mediating the presence of God between God and them. I can guarantee you this. That no matter what you've done. No matter where you've come from. No matter what your life has looked like in the past or what you may feel like right now, I can guarantee you this. If you will surrender your life to Jesus Christ, you will never be the same. I guarantee you that. That's a guarantor. I guarantee you there's nothing you can do to make God love you any less. 
I guarantee you there's nothing you can do to make God love you anymore. I guarantee you that there's nothing in your past that could separate you from God. I guarantee you that nothing you've done right now could separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. I guarantee you that there is nothing that can take away your strength because in your weakness he is strong. I guarantee you every promise that is yes and amen in Christ is for you if you will give your life to Jesus Christ. I can guarantee you that. That's what priests do. We mediate the presence of God in our life to a dark world around us. So your young kings called to do unpopular things. Your young priests called to mediate the presence of God and to serve the body of Christ in the earth. And I can't wait to see what God does through you. I love looking at this church. I love seeing what God's doing in this church. I love the different age groups and ethnicities in this church. I love the fragrance and the aroma of Christ that we are in this community. I love what we're gonna continue to do more of as we continue to walk in who we are in Christ. You have been listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We hope God met you right where you're at today. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you're listening from and visit infocuschurch.org for more on all that's going on in the life of our church.